Good morning. So, all right, yeah. I'm so glad that you're here. Aren't you glad that you're here this morning to be in the presence of God where he's at and to learn from him and to grow with him? Uh, this month, we are kicking off a new series, and if you're kind of new to Soul City Church, we kind of teach in blocks. We'll take about a month, and we'll focus on a specific book or a specific passage or a specific idea, and then I'll run out of things to say, and then we'll move on to the next one, and that's kind of how we do things. So for this month, we're looking at a real kind of nuts and bolts approach to how we have a relationship with God. We talk a lot about having a relationship with God at this church, a transforming relationship with God. But I think sometimes we can talk about it, but not even necessarily know what it means, or more specifically, how it works. And so what we want to do over the course of these next couple of weeks is look at things that are uh, deeply spiritual and try as best we can to make them as practical as possible. There are things about a relationship with God that only God can do. There's plenty of those things, and he's faithful, and he will. But there are things to have in a relationship with God that only you can do. And only I can do. And if you're anything like me, I need help doing those things, learning how to do those things. And so we're going to get as practical as we can get, specifically starting this weekend by looking at the Bible and what does it mean to have a relationship with this book and the God who wrote it? How do we find God's love for us written all throughout its pages and have those pages then be written on our lives so much so that when we go out into the world, that is what we bring with us. And so we're going to try and get as practical and as helpful as we can get when it comes to this book. And so I'm going to ask you if you would, we're going to talk a lot about the Bible this morning. Uh, if you would, if you brought one with you, would you grab it and pull it out now? If not, we've got you covered. We've already thought of you. There should be a blue Bible in the seat back in front of you. Let's have everyone, if you would, grab that, grab a pen because we're going to take some notes and circle a few things. You know, we say this every week, but we're this serious about this book. We believe that it has transformational truth for our lives, and we believe it's one of the primary ways that God expresses his love to us, and we learn not only more about him, but more about ourselves. So listen, if you don't own a Bible, and you're serious about investigating who this God is, and you want to know more about him, it would help to have this book. And so if you don't own one, the Bible you're now holding is yours. I love that you get the opportunity to steal a Bible from church today. One of the best things you could do today is steal a Bible from church. So we really mean it. It's our small little gift to you to help you in your faith journey. So if you don't own a Bible, the Bible you're holding is now yours. Hold on to this. We're going to get to a specific passage in a minute. But I want us to hold this and think about this as we look at the uniqueness of this book above every other book and any other book in the world. This is a powerful, powerful book. The Bible says about itself that it's actually inspired by God, as we're going to see here in a second, that it comes from God. So it's not just the opinions of a bunch of people. This is what God intended, and God spoke to us through a bunch of people over the course of time. In fact, the Bible is written by 40 different authors over the course of 1,500 years. It's a very unique book in that sense. Over the course of 1,500 years, 40 different authors, all kinds of different folks, from kings to peasants to doctors, fishermen, men and women, captured the heart of God and wrote it down, inspired by God. And that's why we have actually this book this day. There's 66 books in the Bible, which you, for some of you, again, this is kind of like, you already know this, so you, we're, this is like a refresher course. But for some of us, maybe you didn't know this. There's actually 66 unique books within this one book, broken up into two categories, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the life of Jesus, as we studied last month, stands at the middle and is really the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
I think if we're going to get practical with this book and helpful with this book, we have to understand a few things about this book, what it is and what it's not. First of all, this book isn't just like any other book that we would read from a Western perspective where you kind of start from the beginning and get to the end. There are tons of stories in this Bible, in this book, but it's less of a book and more like a library, if you will, a collection of books, a collection of stories, all kinds of different types of uh, genres within this one book. There are within this book historical accounts, there are biographical and autobiographical accounts, there's poetry, there's love letters, there's letters to churches, letters to friends, there's prophetic visions, there is instructions, there is correction, there's all sorts of different genres within this one book. So it really is more like a library of books. But here's what's amazing. Every single one of those 66 books and all those different forms of writing that they take all point to one central theme. Every one of them, written over all that time with all those different authors, and that is the redeeming love of God. You can find that thread written on every page of this book. The redeeming love of God, God's redemptive love that he goes in and rescues and restores because he loves so much. Perhaps the greatest miracle in this book isn't even actually in this book. It is this book, that it would be that complete and cohesive and that it would stand the test of time, unlike any other book in history. In fact, it's uh, had more copies of it made than any other book in history. About six billion copies since the invention of the printing press. First book to ever be printed actually wasn't the phone book. It was the Bible. And six billion copies have been made since. In fact, just a couple years ago, some friends of ours down in Oklahoma developed a little app for your smartphone called Uversion. Just by show of hands, does anyone use that app or have that at least on your phone, Uversion? You can kind of see around this room. It's amazing. What they did is take this book and make it into an app, and a very, very helpful app. Do you know that in the last four and a half years or so, 91 million people have downloaded the Bible? Isn't that amazing? I mean, the Bible now, we live in a very special time for this very special book. The Bible is essentially free now to anyone, to everyone. And yet, its teachings, its words in this book are so powerful and so challenging and to some so threatening that it's banned in 52 countries right now, today. This is unlike any other book in the world. And it deserves, at the very least, our attention. Listen to what the Bible has to say about itself. This is found in 2 Timothy 3.16. You don't have to turn there. We'll put it on the screens for you. But listen to what this book that you're holding in your hands actually says about itself. What we said just a minute ago. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Just a quick show of hands. Anyone need help in that department in your life? Need to know what's true, what's right, what's wrong. I need help. I need discernment. I need direction. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture, all the Scripture points to God's redeeming love and is helpful to instruct us. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us what to do that is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. This is a very, very important book. And my hunch is about you, no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at with God, you're investigating God, or you've been a Christian a really long time. My hunch is about you, and I know this because this is true of me too, is that you desire to read this book more, 
You want this book to be more a part of your life. And yet, for whatever reason, it isn't. Have you ever thought about why? I brought something with me today that I think is uh, an important sort of metaphor that maybe might help you in your process of understanding how to get to the heart of this book. This is the very first Bible that I ever got. Look at this little thing. This is awesome. It's the New Testament. This is very important in all caps. With pictures. Very important for kids. There's a photographer there documenting all of this. And when, when, when you're six years old, that with pictures is very, very, very key, especially when it's written in King James language. <laughs> this was given to me by my Sunday school teacher. Now listen to this. Uh, it was given to me September 9th, 1979. Some of you weren't even, some of your parents weren't even born then. And, uh, and she wrote this. It's from my Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Dopart. She said, to Jarrett Stevens, a very special boy. <laughs> she was right. She was right. How did she know? She was right. You know, it's amazing. I've had this book with me all these years, and yet for some reason, I've had this book with me in and around my life for all these years, and yet for some reason, if I'm being really honest, there are days where I don't take this book with me into my life. Never have we had greater access to the Bible than we do right now, and yet at the same time, never has there been less interest in actually engaging it in our lives. I think we all have the desire, but when it comes down to the discipline of developing a love for this book, I think many of us, if we're being honest, get stuck. I had conversations specifically with guys in my small group, and we talked about the Bible a lot, and we talked specifically this last round of small groups about how the Bible plays into our relationship with God. And very honest conversation and dialogue. Guys in the group will say, you know, I, I, I want it. I want it. Just like I think every one of us says, I, I, I want to read the Bible more. But I'll be honest, I don't know if I can believe everything in it is true. How do I know everything in it is true? How do I know that all of this is inspired by God and all of this was supposed to make the cut? And so there's a resistance maybe even to it in that comment. You know, I, I, I want to engage it more, but I'm not sure that all of it can be true. And I think that's a very valid point. I understand that point. But listen, the reality is for every single one of us, there's nothing in your life that you read that you expect to be 100% true. What else in your life? When you sit down and read the paper or watch the news, do you go, I believe every word they're saying. I believe it to be inspired and the truth. There's nothing else in your life that you actually hold that standard to. And so whether or not you even, if that's your hump to sort of get over, I'd encourage you to get into it and see for yourself. See for yourself. If these words don't actually hold up to be true. I'm talking with a guy in our small group. He said, you know, I, man, I, I want to. And I, I think what happens is when we talk about this stuff, like people can feel, honestly, for being honest, a little guilty. I want to read the Bible more. I feel like I should, but I'm just not a reader. I'm just not that strong of a reader. You know, like, I get that. I, I totally get that. And I, it's an honest thing. Like, I'm just not a reader. And we live in a culture where people read less and less and less. I get it. But that's not totally true if you're to be honest with your life. You actually read all day. You read email. Yeah, but that's for work. Okay, okay. I don't know why you're so grumpy and disgruntled, but okay. All right, sorry. The voice is my choice. I apologize. Okay. You actually do. You, you actually do read all day. You, you read columns and websites. You read blogs. Some of you read the paper, magazines. 
I understand, I understand. This is not an easy book to read at first pass. That I get. Very true. But I think every one of us is more of a reader than we even realize. And I wonder if some of our resistance doesn't sort of fade into the distance when we get honest about how important and valuable this book is. And maybe, just maybe, it's time for us to get that much more into it so that it gets that much more into our lives. Instead of standing around, circling around this book, what would it look like for you to engage this book more in your life so that it actually begins to engage you? I want to get to some nuts and bolts stuff towards the end of the message, but I think there's a, a, a fundamental perspective that you and I have to come to if we're ever actually going to engage this book and know the author of this book and the love that he has for you. And specifically, it comes to your perspective when you come to this book. I think for many of us, we look at this book and it feels like a sense of obligation. Yep, that's what you get for being a Christian. It's part of the package deal. You get this, you, you get the Bible, you get church, prayer, all this kind of stuff. And I, okay, I get it. I'll, get, I'll do that. And it ends up, if we're being honest, for some of us, ends up kind of falling on a to-do list. And maybe that's the culture you grew up in. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to read your Bible. And as long as it's an obligation, then you're going to resist it. It's just human nature. But what would it look like for you to approach this book above every other book, this book with the perspective of love? Let me explain what I mean. When you read the pages of this book, when you actually get into it and dive into this book, what you find again and again and again throughout the story, the big picture of the Bible, is the story of God's redemptive love for you, that he actually loves you. That's what makes this even different from every other holy book in the world, is that it's about a God who loves you. Many of us may not know a ton about the Bible, but I bet every one of us knows John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That's written over and over and over again throughout these pages. And so if God has already approached you through this book from the perspective of love, what would it look like for you to approach God through this book from the perspective of love and not obligation and not guilt and not shame? See, love changes everything, changes our whole perspective, and it will change your approach to this book. Because the truth about you and the truth about me is we live for what we love. You love something, you live for it. Whatever it is, if it's a person, it's a relationship, you would do anything for them. We live for what we love. It's just true about us. It's part of the beauty of how God actually created us. We live for what we love. Let me show you what I mean. I don't know what your favorite sport is or your favorite team is, but if you have one, there are people who so love their team. And Chicago has a lot of love and hate for our teams. And we celebrate with the Bulls, and we all just hold our breath while they go to face the heat this week. We love our teams. And in fact, you may love your team so much that you live for it. You pay way too much for tickets to go to the games. You wear a jersey around town as though you're actually a member of the team. Some of you are wearing it to church today. You know stats about every player, their history, where they got traded to, where they came from. Listen, when you love something, you live for it. You go all in. For those of you who actually like to play sports and actually participate and not just watch them... When you love it, you live for it. Whatever that sport is, it's your thing, you're into it. Listen, some of you love golf so much 
that if it's above freezing, you're out playing somewhere. There is still ice on the ground and you are swinging away. Because when you love it, you live for it. And so you buy magazines that tell you more about golf. How could there be any more to learn about golf? But when you love it, you live for it. This is just true of human nature. There are TV shows that you love, TV series that you love, and you, if you're being honest, live for these shows. Just being honest. I'm not going to say which shows. That's between you and God. I know this to be true because it's true of my life. Now, I'm going to do a little bit of confession here. A couple years ago, everyone kept talking about this show called Lost. And it was in the middle of the third season. I had enough people tell me, I think you'd really love this show. And so I started, I don't know if any of you ever watched that show, I started in the middle of the third season, and I was so thoroughly confused. There's an island, there's a hatch, wait, what is going on? I'm so confused by the code, the numbers, and all this. But then I got hooked on this show. And I decided that I was going to go back and watch every episode up until the episode we are currently on. And so over the course of a couple weeks, I did that. (laughs) Keep in mind, I had a job and a wife and family, but I loved this show. In fact, I'm going to take it even a little bit deeper now. I got so into this show, in fact, that I convinced Jeannie that we should host a small group at our house where we watch the show Lost. As long as someone prayed, it counted as a small group. And so... We had viewing parties, and I got so into it in season four that I created a fantasy league for Lost, and every person in our small group was given a character, and we had a full leaderboard out every week, and if your character got punched, if your character got kissed, if your character went back in time, if your character died again, like whatever it was, you got points for that. People knew how into it I was. They even bought me t-shirts about the show. I have a t-shirt that says, I believe in Jacob. That means nothing to you, but to those of us who love Lost, it means everything. In fact, let me just go one more level, and then I promise you we'll actually get to the Bible. I got so into it at one point that I started reading blogs the next day that talked about all the theories of the show. And then I started listening to podcasts with nerds who would talk for hours about a TV show. And I would listen. And then it got worse. Because one day, I called into the podcast. It's a true story. It was a dark time in my life. Clearly no accountability. I was so concerned about people finding out that I had stooped to that level that when they asked my name, I changed my name to Kevin just because I just, I chose a pseudonym because I just had to retain some level of dignity. See what can happen when you love something? You go all in. And and you you know this if you're in a relationship, if you've ever been in a relationship, if you have kids, when you love something, you live for it. You live for it. You'll put in the time. You'll put in the work. You'll be patient. You'll be persistent. When we love something, we live for it. And so the question is, what would it look like for you to fall in love with God's word? You know, there's really, when it comes to the Bible, 
As your pastors, Gene and I, it'd be great if you were knowledgeable about the Bible. It would be great if you knew a lot of things about the Bible. But do you know what we want most for you and for our church when it comes to the Bible? We don't want you just to know more about it. We want you to be more in love with it. Because that will carry you. And maybe you've met people who know a lot about it, but don't seem to apply it to their lives. Many of you sat through classes like that in college. We want our church to love this book and to love the God who gave it as a gift to us? What would it look like for you to actually begin to love God's word? I'm going to give you a snapshot from the Bible of what that looks like. You've been holding this Bible long enough. Let's open it up. It's found in Psalm 119, just about the middle of your Bible. In the blue Bibles, it's page 427. Page 427. Psalm 119. Let me just give you a quick context, then we'll get into the part of that we're going to look at this. This is written by King David. King David is kind of a central character in the Old Testament. As you dive more and more into the Old Testament, or maybe you already have, you know that he is a central character in the Old Testament. A man after, as the Bible says, God's own heart. And David, at the time he wrote Psalm 119, only had seven books of the Bible. That's all that was written at that point. And it was the first seven books of the Bible. That's all he had as his Bible. Didn't have an app, didn't have a Bible like we had. He had seven books of the Bible that probably at this point he had committed to memory, that he had learned, that he had read over and over again. And if you've read the first seven books of the Bible, some of them not easy to read. (laughs) And that's all he had. And listen to his heart, his love for this book and for the God who gave it to us. Psalm 119, jump all the way down to verse 97. Look what David says. Oh, how I what? Love. Love. Circle that word. Oh, how I love your law. Your word, the Bible. Oh, how I love your law. Listen to what he says. I meditate on it all day long. I don't want you to underline or circle the word meditate. It's okay to write in the blue Bibles. You're helping someone else by the time they steal that Bible. So it's okay to write in these Bibles. Circle the word meditate. Now, how many for you, when you see the phrase, I meditated on all day long, feels intimidating to you? How am I going to, what? I can't be quiet for five minutes. How am I supposed to meditate on something all day long? Do you know what the truth is about you and me? You're great at meditating. You just don't know it. You ever had a preoccupying thought or worry or anxiety come into your world? A friend of yours who's in trouble? A relationship that's broken? A job that's ended? Finances that are just about done? You ever found yourself everywhere you go, wherever you're at, whoever you're with, thinking about that reality? You know what that is? It's meditating. We just tend to meditate in the wrong way. We meditate on worry and fear and anxiety. God has a very practical solution to that. You meditate on this. You meditate. You start your day with this and let this mull over in your mind and see that it doesn't change your perspective. You and I are great at meditating. We just tend to meditate on the wrong things. So David says, I meditate on your word all day long. Your commands, listen, because I do that, your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. Now, David lived in a culture where he actually had enemies, like people that were out to kill him. 
Now, that's not true necessarily of our culture or your immediate world. Every one of us has enemies to the life that God has created you to live. Every one of us does. Busyness. Work. At times can be an enemy. It can be when you give it too much of yourself. There are relationships that are not only unhealthy, they're actually harmful, destructive. They can be an enemy to the life. There are habits and addictions in your life that are literally an enemy to the life God created you to live. And look what David says. When I love this and start here, I actually am wiser than those things. I can outmove them, outthink them, anticipate them, whatever comes against me. Verse 99, I have more insight than all my teachers. Now, that's an interesting word that David chooses there. It's not knowledge. I have more insight. Insight literally means that I can see into things. Even the teachers who can sit here and tell me all the true and right things, when I have God's word hidden in my heart, tucked away into my life, I can see into things. I can see through motives. I can see through circumstances and situations. I have insight even greater than the smartest, most knowledgeable people about the Bible when I make the Bible my love. I have insight. For I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding. Again, I see things more than the elders, those who came before me. Because I obey, I actually put this into practice. I obey, circle the word obey. I obey. I don't just read and go, well, that's very interesting. Or that's a true thing, objectively. I personalize it. I obey. I put it into practice. I obey your precepts. Verse 101, I have kept my feet. Now look at what David does here. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. Again, there are things that only God can do, but there are things that only you can do. God cannot make you resist, avoid temptation. That is your choice. Now, God can walk you through it. God can be with you in the midst of it. But you and I have to choose which path we're going to walk down. God will not make that choice for you. He loves you too much to do that. So David says, I choose wisely the path that I take so that I can keep in step with your word. I've not departed from your laws for, now this is very important, circle this, for you yourself, circle that, you yourself have taught me. Now this is a very foreign concept in the day that David wrote it, and very honestly, it's still a foreign concept in our world today. What is David saying here? Before even what we read about in the book of Acts, where the Holy Spirit comes into our story and literally into our lives to guide and guard and direct our lives, David is saying, when I open and engage in this book, it is not just words on a paper for me, it is God himself speaking to me, teaching me, instructing me that there is actually relationship in my relationship to this book, that I actually am engaging and being led by and loved by God himself. Very different from every other religion in David's day, and quite honestly, very different from every other holy book in our day. That this is about God engaging us as we engage his word. So, it goes on to say, Let's just jump down to verse 103. How sweet, he says. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Just hit pause right there. David's saying, look, this is the truth about what you do, God. This is what your word does in me. This is what I do with your word. And David stops and says, God, it's just so good. It's so good. This is the sign of someone in love when they can recognize beauty in the moment. This is so good, God. 
Your words aren't just instruction and here to guide and guard my life. They're just good for me, good to me, like honey, just this sweetness. And in David's day, obviously we can go out to Trader Joe's and get all kinds of organic honey right now if we wanted to. In David's day, well, I guess it was all very organic in his day, but in David's day, it was much more precious. In fact, this weekend, my parents are actually in town, and I was able to take them to a restaurant here in the neighborhood called Little Goat. And I introduced my mom to peanut butter butter. <laughs> Friends, I don't know how I made it in my life this far without peanut butter butter. It's peanut butter, but butter. It literally is so smooth and so delicious. It's like honey to my lips. It's sweet. It is good. That's what David says. Your words, God, are sweet like honey to my mouth. And I gain understanding. I understand more and more. The more I'm into it, the more I get from it. Therefore, I hate, hate every wrong path. Your word, he says, this is very important. Maybe you've heard this before. Psalm 119, 105. Your word, God's word, this book is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. Now, again, we live in a world where the power can be on all day. But they lived in a world where when the sun went down, the lights were out. And so there were lamps and there were torches and there were things to guide the steps when you had to travel through dark and difficult places. And David says, your word, God, is literally like that lamp. That it doesn't reveal the whole landscape for me. That's what we want God to do. God, just tell me the plan, tell me the plan, tell me what I'm supposed to do. And we get frustrated when he doesn't make it happen that way. That's just not how God ever promised it would be. But what he did promise is found in his word is he will illuminate the next step. God, what am I supposed to do in my career? I don't know what I'm supposed to do in my career. God says, you know what? I'm going to be with you. I promise you I'll be with you, and I'll show you the next step tomorrow at work. God, I don't know what to do in this relationship. It's complicated. It's hard. I get it. I'm not going to let you see the whole future, but I will let you see what to do next, how to love this person in front of you next. It's a lamp to my feet. It illuminates the next step and the next step and the next step. This is what it looks like to fall in love with this book. Because this is a book written out of love. God's redeeming love for you. And so what would it look like for us to approach this book not as a have to or an ought to, but a want-to sort of perspective. God, I believe that this is good. I believe that this is true. I, I, I believe, God, that there's no other book like this book. I believe, God, that when I engage this book, it engages me. In other words, when I read this book, it reads me and speaks into my life and reveals truth about me and ultimately truth about you. What would it look like for you to engage this book from a perspective of love this week? to actually get into it and start from a place of, God, I love you. I want to love you more through this book. And Gene and I have had the privilege of walking couples uh, through their engagement and into marriage. And we were doing it recently for a couple at our church. And uh, can't, we, you know, we can only do kind of like one couple at a time. And so we were with this couple. And, and he and I sort of went for a walk together, just he and I. And, and Gene and her went for I think they just sat in the office. So we went out and got exercise. And <laughs> it's not a value statement, I'm just saying. And so we're walking. And he literally asked me, in all sincerity, again, this is a guy that's on the front door of a lifelong relationship. 
He said, he said to me, literally, how, how do you guys do it? How, have you, how do you stay in love? Because it's easy to fall in love. How do you stay in love? And so I just kind of shared with him, you know, I'll be honest. Like, it's, it's work, but it's so enjoyable. And some of the things over the course of our walk, you know, that I was able to say to him is like, you know, listen, you, you got to kind of take it step by step. You don't, you don't just sort of go barging into this thing. You, you take it step by step. That's falling in love. That goes fast and hard. Staying in love is step by step. I said, you know, it's honestly what I've had to learn and what I've seen Jeannie model to me, and I do the best I can to model to her, is learning how to stay with each other when it's hard. Because our human tendency is when it's difficult, we're out. On to the next thing, on to the next relationship, on to the next job, on to the next city. But I said, you know, for us to make it this long, we've had to decide that no matter how difficult, no matter how hard, we're going to stay with each other no matter what. I said, you know, the, the, the reality is, is the way that Jean and I have been able to make it all these 16 years of marriage and we expect to go to a lifetime is it's built day to day. It's built every day. Me showing up saying, I'm, I'm going to choose today to love you and be loved by you today. And I think as we consider approaching this book from the perspective of love, I think those same thoughts might actually apply. In fact, I, I wrote these down, and then I didn't realize how much these reflected what we've learned about having a love relationship with each other, how much they apply to having a love relationship with the God of this book. First thing I'd say to you, if you want to jot some of these things down, if we're going to get really practical about actually engaging this book from a perspective of love, I'd say the same thing. I'd say, you know what? Go slow. Go slow. It could be easy to kind of walk out of here and go, yeah, this is important. I want, to, I want to get into this. I'm going to start today, and I'm going to read the whole New Testament. I'm going to go through it, and that's awesome. That's great. I just encourage you, go slow. It's okay. Go slow. Take a chapter at a time. Hey, listen, take a section at a time. I'm just going to sit on this one little section. Take your time. Don't try and race through it. The goal is not speed here. It's depth. And so go slow. And then I encourage you to say, stay with because there's going to be times where you read this and you're like, you know, I just, I read this this morning for five minutes and God did not tell me what I needed him to tell me. <laughs> well, that's it. <sighs> I tried. <laughs> Stay with. Yeah, there are parts. Uh, listen, I'll be honest. Very still, hard to understand. Confusing culturally. Stay with. Stay with. God, is there anything you want me to get here? If not, God, I'm just going to trust that you are, you are giving me something that you're going to play out in my life later because you love me that well. Stay with. We want you to have a lifelong love for this book. Stay with. And then lastly, start today. Start today. You can literally start today. In fact, what I want to encourage us to do is this. I want us to start today and then this week to commit to engaging God from a perspective of love when it comes to this book. And one of the best places for you to start is actually not in the beginning. The book of Genesis is fantastic. I, I, would, I guess all the books in the Bible are fantastic. I would encourage you to actually begin in one of the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Start there. Start today. You can engage. Read one chapter. Read one section today. In fact, this is where I want to get very practical. Very, very, very practical. 
I want you to think about when you get up each morning. What time do you get up in the morning? Like what time do you have to get up? I want you to think about when you get up in the morning. Now what I want you to think about is when you actually get up in the morning. And here's what I want us to do. Uh, Would you take this commitment for one week and just see what God does? Would you set your alarm for either 15 or 30 minutes earlier this week? Would you set a alarm this week for 15 or 30 minutes earlier? Look, the reality, our kids are up at 6.30, so we have to be up before them anyway. So for us, it'll mean around 5.30, 6 at the latest, to set an alarm and say, for the next 15 minutes, for the next 30 minutes, the start of my day, listen, here's a challenge. Before I thumb through email, before I check Twitter, before I check Instagram, I'm going to actually attempt to meditate on this today. There's going to be a thousand other enemies coming against me being who God created me to be. I'm going to start here so that I'm wiser than them. 15 minutes. Those of you who want extra credit, 30 minutes. Would you actually set your alarm this week? Maybe that's the thing you get to share with your friends is, hey, will you help me this week do this? Because I want to have a lifelong love of this book and ultimately a lifelong love relationship with the God who gave it to me. And so if it means i got to get up 15 minutes earlier, I'm willing to do that because when I love something, I live for it. And I'm willing to change when I get up, how I go throughout my day, what I make a priority, what I meditate on. What would it look like for our whole church to get up 15 or 30 minutes earlier this week and start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? I think it will not only change your week, it will change what we do here next weekend together. We will be that much more aware of God's redeeming love for us. I want to give you a snapshot of what that really looks like. And so I'm going to invite my friend Damati up, and the band's going to come up. We're going to have a moment to sing and reflect and actually uh, engage with God through a spiritual practice. But I'm going to invite Damati up. So can you welcome Damati to the stage right now? And I thought it'd be good because um, Damati, you've been about a, a part of our church for about a year now. Yes. And I know that your life has greatly changed in the last year. Part of it being coming to this church, but other stuff that God was doing in your life. Very much. And for you, just because I know some of your story, can you give us a snapshot of sort of what your engagement was with the Bible up until this last year? Um, I didn't have any engagement with the Bible. Um, I didn't understand it. It was very difficult for me to read it. Um, I always would start with Genesis, wouldn't get past chapter 3. <laughs> so I get frustrated and upset, and it will go back in my, uh, my library. So... Mm. Um, I was fascinated that it was a book that um, seemed to influence the world so much, but yet it was like another language. I, I couldn't get into mm. it. So what shifted for you? I mean, there was, there was something that shifted yeah. for you. So for me, um, last year I went to this woman's event uh, retreat, and um, what for me was a very powerful encounter with Jesus um, took place at that event. Um, and it was such a shock of an awe-consuming love um, that I truly was never the same after that moment. Um, and I knew it was God. I knew God wanted a relationship with me. And I knew that I had to embrace the Bible in order to get on that journey. So I was very hungry to uh, figure this out. Yeah. So. It became yeah. very personal to you. Very much so. Yeah. Um, 
it was very clear that it was God. Yeah. Very clear. So what does that look like for you? Because again, you're someone, I think a lot of us, because maybe you're in this room and you're like, yeah, I've never really done that before. I don't know how to, where to start or what to do. And I know for you, you've kind of figured some stuff out over the last year that really works for you, for you to engage God through this book. What do you do to read the Bible? So I was very concerned because I really had tried reading the Bible many times. So one of my friends uh, told me to, um, you know, maybe find some type of a study Bible. So for me, I looked for a biblical uh, scholar that I connected with, which for me is Joyce Meyer. And I found out that she has the amplified version of the Bible with her commentaries or notes. So that's the Bible I started with, um, and it really has helped me a lot to kind of read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I st- and then I was also recommended to start with Ephesians. There's a chapter in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 through 19, which is a prayer on asking God for wisdom and just kind of help. And so I started to read that prayer before I would read the Bible. Um, and that's really how I started. Mm-hmm. But lately, my goal really has become to... You know, I just really want the Bible to become that driving force Mm -hmm. as far as knowledge. So every morning I do, you know, wake up and the Bible is always right next to me in the bed. Mm -hmm. And so I try to read a chapter in the morning. And then at night before I go to bed, I also try to read a chapter. So the whole goal is to just really allow to be led by the by the Bible. And um, and then at night, just to kind of rest in that and just to, you know, pray that, you know, that God sorts things out for me as I go through Mm -hmm. the journey. That's awesome. What would you say, Damati, for folks who are here that are like, you know, they're feeling that push to, to do what you did a year ago, say, okay, I'm going to start today, I'm going to start somewhere today. What would you say? You know, I think, because um, for me, what helped me was really getting that God loved me. Hmm. And when I got that, when I got that God loved me as I was with all my scars, it didn't matter, I don't have to try, um, hmm. then the Bible kind of reflected as God's gift to me. And so if you can look at that Bible as God's gift to you and find a way to just suspend any disbelief, any previous notions you have about your journey with the Bible and just really embrace the Bible, I think you will start to notice that the words in the Bible are very powerful. They're not ordinary in any way. They heal, they protect, they deliver, they comfort. I mean, they're just amazing. And for me, the Bible is uh, nourishment to my soul. And just like we eat everyday food, mm. uh, we need to nourish our soul every day. Mm. So however that looks for you, the shift is, it radically would just completely change your life. I mean, there's mm. no way around it when you embrace it. I love it. Can we thank Damati for sharing that? Thank you, Damati. <laughs> so we want to encourage you to start today, to start this week. Start from where you're at. Start with one of the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Set your alarm and just see what God does. See what God does in your life, in your perspective. Hey, see what God does in your relationships, your marriage. Those of you who are parents, what a gift for you to give to your kids. That that, you're not just passing on kind of your experiences, which is great, or your insight that you've gained, but for them to see you in love with this book, what that might change for their story that you wish maybe someone had modeled for you early on. Start today. Start this week. And just see. Just see what God does. And, you know, we have an opportunity this morning to experience something that the Bible teaches, actually. 
something that we see in the gospel accounts, which you'll get to, that Jesus himself modeled for us and gave to us. See, the reality is for God, as is woven throughout this book, is that when he loves something, specifically when he loves someone, he doesn't just live for them, but he died for them. And the reality of the life of Jesus is that God loved you so much that he sent his son for you, gave everything for you, for me, for every one of us. And ultimately, Jesus let his life be led to the cross and raised by God from the dead to pay the price for the totality of our depravity, for our sin. He covered it for us. And he knew that we were, he knew us and knows us all too well, that we're forgetful people. We get distracted and we meditate on all the wrong things. He said, I want you to remember something. I want you to do something to help you remember me. And so he gave us two elements. He gathered his followers together just hours before he'd be arrested and led to that cross. And he said, took two common elements from the table because he knew that they would see these elements at just about every meal. He said, this is bread. And he broke the bread. He said, let this be a reminder to you of my body that I actually came, that God came for you. And my body was broken for you, offered up for you. And then he took wine and he poured it into a cup. He said, let this remind you of my blood that literally paid the sacrificial price for your sin and for mine. This is the only pure and perfect sinless blood to ever flow through human veins. And Jesus willingly, joyfully, the Bible teaches, poured it out for us so that we could actually live with him. When God loves someone... He doesn't just live for them. He dies for them. He died for you. And God raised Jesus from the dead so that you could live with him. And so we're going to remember that right now. We're going to celebrate communion. We're going to come up to the front here. We have elements in the front. We also have elements in the back. And there you can grab a piece of bread and dip it in a cup and be reminded of the body and the blood of Christ. And I'd encourage you over the course of this next song to come. And maybe you just need to come and say, Jesus, I admit, man, I have wandered far. My heart is hard. My feet have wandered far off. So I'm coming back to you. Or maybe you need to come to Jesus in the midst of the joy that you're celebrating and say, Jesus, I want you at the center of the life that I'm experiencing right now to the fullest. Wherever you're coming from, we want to come to the table this morning. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have elements up in the front and in the back. We say this every week or every time, sorry, that we do this. Uh, over here to the left, I know it can sound a little silly, but we're this serious about it. We actually have gluten-free bread over here on the left because we don't want anyone to be left out from the table. So if that's you, you can make your way right over here to the left. We want you to experience that with us. So let's pray together, worship God, and come to the table. Jesus, thank you for the truth made known through these elements, your body, your blood, for the truth that was prophesied all throughout the Old Testament, the truth that was made known through the Gospels, the truth that then became the New Testament, and the truth that has brought us to this point this morning, that you love us. Your redeeming love for us knows no limit. And you proved it to us through your son, Jesus. You prove it to us through the gift of the Bible. You're going to prove it to us right now. You're going to prove it to us throughout this week. And so we don't want to miss it. So Jesus, we come. We come to you just as we are. We come to you for who you are. We come to you with all of our sin and death, and we find in you forgiveness and freedom in life. And so meet with us now, Jesus Christ. 
the cornerstone of this faith, the cornerstone of this book, and be the cornerstone of our lives, we pray. In your name, amen.